Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. Um, so this is part two of our Witches Gone Wild. Um, the first one was last week. We talked about 2020's Gretel and Hansel, the Oz Perkins film that sort of reimagined the uh, classic grim fairy tale. And today we have the Blair Witch Project 1999. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, hey, Nate, uh, are you ever going to actually have a cult movie and a classic movie uh, on these things? Well, you can uh, just um, suck it because uh, sorry to sorry for the French. Um, the reason that I made this pairing is that Gretel and Hansel is, I think, a more currently known film because it did come out, it did have theater release, um, and The Blair Witch 1999, this is the original, is, I do think, weirdly forgotten in a way that only a fad can be forgotten. Uh, it's not that people don't know it exists, but you don't hear it talked about quite that much. Even in 2016, when there was a sequel released, um, you didn't hear... I didn't see a lot of people being like revisiting the Blair Witch Project, of course, in the film circles of which our listeners are undoubtedly uh, greatly a part of. People do uh, talk about this film still, but because it blew up into a phenomenon when it came out in 1999, uh, it's, it's, it's like the brighter you, the burn, you know, the, you, the brighter you burn, the faster you burn out. It is sort of that effect. And so I think this really has fallen into true cult film territory, even though it was quite successful mainstream uh, in its day. Uh, so let's introduce our panel and then we'll get right into the film. So I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian. And with us as often is Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Hi, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and and as you listeners often uh long-time listeners know we record this at different parts of the country uh so it is later for some of us than others and sometimes you can tell uh we also have with us a uh, founding member of colton classic podcast tad mastriani how are you doing tad i'm hearing a corn album in my head right now oh it's 1999 all 1999. over 1999 oh follow the leader that that wonderful todd mcfarland cover um yeah just hey just give a shout out guys as i as i thought of of todd mcfarland uh i uh it, as your host i am taking a, a comic writing class with uh, amazing comic writer and batman scribe scott snyder and you guys should all follow scott 
uh, and his new publishing arm, uh, Best Jacket Press Online. Sign up for the free newsletter, and then you can take the classes if you want. It's really cool. He had Greg Capullo on as a guest for the first class, and he really goes into detail about how to teach comics. This is a free plug. Uh, it just came to my mind. But uh, follow uh, Scott Snyder and Best Jacket Press and sign up for their newsletter and give him some love because he's putting some great stuff out there and it's super affordable. Uh, I think it's like $75 for all seven classes um, and it was like two hours last night uh, and it's recorded for you too. So can't beat it. Okay, diving right in here. Yeah, 1999, very interesting time. Uh, I We've talked about this before. 1999 is also the year that Wing Commander came out. Um, there's been a lot of oh, no. a, a lot of films a lot of films we talk about came out in 1999 and part of it is is it was a weird transition where things were were so 90s that they were becoming something new you know it was it was like we're we're saved by the bell was started out as this like 80s into 90s vehicle with the bold colors and parachute pants and whatnot uh by the end it was solidly 90s and we were getting um you know power rangers craze in the at the end, we got this like move from 90s ironic uh, material to stuff that tried to be so dark that it didn't understand that it was it was like becoming a joke, you know, like new metal and these things. I mean, uh, uh, let the bodies hit the floor was a drowning pool. Like, you know what I mean? Like these things um, uh, have become had, had become so like edgy in this move to be to be like fresh and break the previous um, colorful happy mold of the 80s this sort of was bursting in the 90s we got this like extra dark moment um that is comical because it's a surface level dark right it's not it's not actually uh uh terrifying because of uh some deep-seated emotional thing it's just a surface level like raw yelling blood gore all this stuff uh, and, and horror movies at the time were often drawing from their 80s counterparts, like Halloween Resurrection, things like that, um, but in a comical way because we couldn't look at them seriously anymore. Uh, obviously, that's changed when you get really talented filmmakers behind it, like with Halloween uh, and Halloween Kills coming up. But the reason I, I talk about all that is because the Blair Witch Project was in this, in this world of sort of hyper-mainstreamed edginess was sort of the real deal uh, as far as grittiness goes, because it really is uh, a, it, it is a true independent film that made it huge in the mainstream. Uh, and not only that, it's a horror independent film and it, it caused this explosion of found footage features, which is still continuing today. Uh, and, and there's been some amazing found footage features. Um, I think Wreck uh, uh, is one which, uh, I'm trying to remember, what was it called here? Outbreak, I forget what the name of the, the American remake was, but good films. Um, even George Romero uh, with Diary of the Dead did a found footage film, a very interesting, small, um, narrow vision, ground level zombie film. It's just really cool stuff. So this is, even though they didn't originate the found footage film, they absolutely brought it to the mainstream and gave uh, indie filmmakers a new device that I would argue has allowed a lot of filmmakers to make their material taken seriously with very low budget and very low technical skill. Now, when I say this is an indie movie, it had a budget of about 60 grand. So could the average person quote unquote make this film? Not easily. Uh, however, I'll also say those numbers that you see, like this movie costs $6 million. Those are usually 
including a huge number of the marketing materials. So the actual film production is, is, can be much smaller. Um, and we're talking about a film where supposedly one of the cameras they used was bought at Circuit City and they returned it after the shoot so they could recoup some of that money. It's, it's pretty low budget. Um, but before we even get into the plot, the reason in it, that it wasn't just that this was a fresh gritty film that was a horror film and not an indie movie like a road trip film, coming of age, that sort of thing, uh, which is a little more expected. It also had this crazy media hype that exploded around it because it used a lot of people who weren't well-known actors uh, and some that weren't actors at all um, and commercial like consumer grade equipment for a lot of it. It looked real to the point where uh, a lot of people decided to start one, marketing it as real. Uh, and then people picked up on it thinking it was real and started to report on it. So we had things like previews um, with extra documentary footage on MTV that then got picked up by CNN. And it was the um, George Orwell uh, War of the Worlds thing where people heard the audio broadcast and thought it was real and there was all this mayhem because people thought Martians were really attacking. It was sort of that on a, on a contemporary scale again. Uh, and I remember watching these. And the thing about the, the documentary footage um, where they interview people, which is in the film itself, actually a very small part in the beginning, it's very realistic. Now that we have a lot of paranormal shows and all these things, this is exactly what it looks like, um, but homemade. So it's even more real. And I think it's effective. And it was certainly effective in making people lose their mind about it. Um, so let's get into the plot. I think everyone saw this film when it came out. It's one of those movies. It was like the missed video game. Everybody and their grandmother had missed in 1995, I think it was. Um, even people who were like, didn't understand video games had this game. Like, it's brilliant. This was kind of that. Um, so the plot is, is I think it's, it's, it says in 1994, uh, three filmmakers uh, went in the woods and became on the hunt for the Blair Witch, a local legend. Uh, and then they got lost. This was the footage that was recovered. And it proceeds to follow um, a, a young woman and her um, filmmaker friend, and then a, a person that she doesn't know, um, who is like another cameraman. And what they do is they go into the wood, they first go to the small town where the Blair Witch is supposed to be a local legend, and they interview yokels about the Blair Witch. Um, I thought that was fascinating being from New England, as all three of us are. I was like, yeah, this is New England. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a little on the nose, but this is Stephen King's New England, which is also real New England. Like, these are people know, that like, you would yeah. see. I live in a part of Massachusetts where we have a legend like that. So yeah, exactly. Literally um, close to home. So and, and it just it just rang very true. Um, and uh, we see a little bit of behind the scenes footage of them messing around, you know, drinking from a flask at night at the hotel room, very excited. And then they go and they go way deep into the woods and they end up getting lost. And there's lots of elements to this where they wake up and they're lost. And at one point we realized that the cameraman that she doesn't know very well got angry and kicked the map into the stream thinking that it was useless because he didn't understand how to read it. And then of course they all lose their mind because they're truly lost. And then to make matters worse, they start coming across these weird little stick constructs and twig, this sort of folk art things all over the place. And then they start coming across these mounds of stones that are very 
curiously arranged and it's obvious that someone is around them and at night their tent gets shook they uh get chased uh they think and they run and it just becomes very clear that something is hunting them so they think one of them then disappears and the next uh, and again spoiler alert guys if you haven't seen the 1999 blair witch uh, shame on you go watch this movie because even if you end up not liking it it really kind of is a cultural phenomenon that i think our generation needs to pass on to the next generation so they especially as a film history moment they need to see this you need to understand this you need to see where all the things came from you're gonna watch it and you'll be like oh every movie i've ever seen since then has taken something from this but uh once one of them disappears they hear him they hear his voice but they can't find him and then in the morning after night, restless night, they wake up and there is a small pouch, which is going to be very familiar to people who've watched, say, the Conjuring movies or um, lots of the paranormal um, uh, TV series where they find little witches spells and sachets, usually it has bones, thing, herbs, things like that. They find a spell bundle, but this one has bloody human teeth in it. Uh, very spooky. They end up ultimately finding a rundown house on their way trying to get out of the forest and then it appears that the Blair Witch gets them in a very Blair Witch fashion based on the uh, townsfolk's stories. There is no Blair Witch in this film. Um, there is supposedly, and I don't really know the validity of this, uh, the director's talked about it before, but um, there was supposed to be a shot where you see the Blair Witch. At one point in the movie, I think 45-ish minutes in, uh they when they're running it's when they get up and you hear um, the lead scream what is that what the hell is that something like that and they're running through and it's shaky handy cam the whole way into the darkness it's so dark apparently the camera was supposed to pan to the left like where they're looking and you're supposed to see a woman dressed in white a very you know hard to see woman dressed in white we didn't actually see that because supposedly the cameraman forgot to turn the camera that he was supposed to because you know it is really dark and uh, they didn't reshoot the shot. I don't know if that's true or not. It seems like one of those things that even from the director level could have been made up. Uh, but regardless, uh, we ended up not seeing the Blair Witch. Uh, there At the time, people were mad about this. Um, I think it's a very smart move when you're using handy cams though, because the benefit of these found footage films is that you have a narrow scope of vision. You are looking through a camera. It's a restraint, but it's also a benefit because you can only see so much. Um, and that allows you to hide things like no budget, right? Like um, questionable locations. And it also forces the audience to focus on very specific things, whatever you want them to. So if you're smart, you can get away with it and it actually increases your film. And I think not having the Blair Witch on screen did that. Let's move into what you guys thought. Mandy, I know that you saw this in theaters at the time, right? I did. All right. So what it, was your... at least once. I can't remember if I went and saw it a second time. I was going to say, what was your what was your experience then and what's your experience now? Oh, I, I mean, it was a strong experience because I was definitely the target market of this film, like teenage girl, like, I don't know. I guess there was a wider market, but I didn't really feel like it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, definitely into spooky stuff, horror films, that kind of thing, the occult. Uh, and then also with uh, our budding ability to be able to be on the internet and like get more information than what you would just hear on the radio or on TV ads or like some kind of special that was being run like 
Like, it, like what you could actually learn about a movie before it came out was like expanding quite a lot at that and period they, of time. And they had quite a website set up for the Blair Witch. Yeah, so they had this very authentic website where they were like really marketing and selling it as a real thing that really happened and like um, no hints or, or like written components of it that were like, oh no, like this is a film, like this is just the marketing stuff we're telling you. Like, no, they were like really into it. Like I think the IMDb like showed the actress as deceased at one point in time. Um, like it was like they were just fully committed to the bit. Uh, so I remember like just really just totally being immersed in this cultural um, moment, as you called it. Like it's just like this cultural experience of my youth, possibly formative. So I don't know, some ways um, in in the movie realm of things. Uh, I remember it being uh, entertaining and quite scary and very, very high tension at that time and um, being satisfied with the film experience. Um, as I said, I can't remember if I went to see it more than once. Um, probably not, didn't really, really have the spending cash for that kind of thing. But like, absolutely, like, I don't know, I probably could have been there on opening day. But like, it was like, it was a film to see. I saw it, I was really into it. Definitely sat on the dial-up modem for a lot of hours, really trying to look at the website. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and was not disappointed. Yeah, so I I was also, that was also me. Um, I felt the same way and I was really into it and I loved catching all the footage um, on, I guess one of the, I guess probably the closest thing I can think to in modern memory that, that um, Jen Y might have experienced is, do you remember the mermaid documentary from a few years ago? Um, it was a big thing. I think it was the Discovery Channel uh, ran these uh, a really long mermaid documentary and they ran it like several days, like end to end over and over again. Um, that it was it was legitimate. Like it felt it, it was done with all of the trappings of their normal um, their normal production values and everything that was showing that it seemed to be that, that people had found remnants of what appeared to be mermaids, these creep mermaidish creatures and it was it sold it and it did sell and people you know you could still look up are mermaids real and uh you'll get a bunch of hits specifically relating to that documentary um and there are still people who believe it's true even though afterward they came out and said this is this is imaginary um but yeah it it, it they they 100 committed the 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 cast was not available for comment kind of you know you didn't have these panels of Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans talking about the filming experience um and talking about how attractive Chris Hemsworth is you didn't have that stuff uh and it on watching it again I was actually struck by how much actually did hold up and I think it sort of speaks to and I'm not saying it's perfect because it's not um but I think it speaks to when you get a cultural phenomenon like this it's hard to, even when it's just at the right time, right place, it's hard to make it stick if the core product isn't strong in and of itself. For example, Paranormal Activity was very much fashioned after this film. And I am a big Paranormal Activity fan. I thought the first feature and actually the third as well were very good films. Um, but they're based on reality, right? They look 
real. That's the whole thing. And this movie sells it 100%. Anyone who's tried to make their own movies, their own home movies, whatever, you watch The Blair Witch, and like, yeah, this is exactly what it's like watching it later. You know, it's 50% entertaining. It's 50% nauseating with camera work. And there's a, you know, a 0.001% thing of, oh, that turned out way cooler than I thought it would. Um, so I was actually really engaged more than I expected once again by the character development. I learned about these individual personalities simply by just osmosis as they went about their business. Um, and there is a great deal of this movie that does not have any of the supernatural elements. Um, they're talking about the Blair Witch, they're looking, but really it's about getting lost in the woods, which is actually terrifying. If anyone you know who hasn't lived near the woods may not quite understand the feeling, um, the woods are beautiful and peaceful and wonderful until they're not. And then there's this very specific turning point when everything becomes a fear moment. And uh, they do that very well and actually, you could have completely removed the supernatural elements of this film and it would have in many ways still worked. Um, but the fact that it's based on this intrinsic New England folklore element, uh, it, it actually, I think it's, you know, is why it's, it's sort of a name. Like even if somebody hasn't seen the film, if you say the Blair Witch, they know, oh, that's a movie, right? Um, and this is, you know, over a decade later and we're still talking about it. <clears throat> um, the, where it didn't for me, and Tadam, you probably have more on this too, where it didn't exactly hold up is it is a little padded, just like any independent movie based off a concept. Um, they do a fair amount of the same thing over and over again. It works maybe twice, but then the third time they wake up to a new day and are lost and there's weird things on the ground. You're like, okay, what's going to happen? And then you're kind of waiting for that end moment. Um, so Ted, when did you, you probably saw this the same time we all did. Um, what was your take on it then versus now? When I watched it, um, I think it was about a year after it had already been released. I don't think I was working at the video store at the time, but I do remember um, the decade. It was, well, the movie came out on my birthday of 1999. And uh, after that, I, I, uh, I saw it at a friend's house. And basically I was kind of like, this is the thing that everybody's been talking about for like the past year, because you know me, I am a massive contrarian and basically wait for everybody to have their, their fun <laughs> before I actually partake in something. So I can look at it a little more objectively and it was okay. I liked it. It was, it was indeed padded. I honestly, it was one of those things where I think the whole story probably could have been told in 45 minutes, but let's face it. Sure. When it comes to a horror film like this, if you don't pad it a little bit, you lose some of the tension. So I totally get what they're going for. But I mean, at the same time, you do kind of got to stretch it out so that you can hit that magic runtime for the yep. theater release. Um, and at the time, I, I thought, well, that's an interesting concept. And I didn't think much of it until almost a, no, yeah, almost a decade later when the single biggest um, viral marketing campaign I'd ever seen in my life hit, which was, Funny enough, because we talked about it prior, was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight's viral campaign was ridiculous. There were websites and all this crazy shit going on. And me sitting back, the person I was, went, eh, this Batman movie was okay. This one's probably going to suck. <laughs> I was incredibly wrong. It turned out to be one of the most important movies of that decade. 
um, and still is very important today. But um, I'll circle back. The the movie didn't hit me the way. Well, it no, it didn't hit me in either decade. I've watched it again, and it still feels like a really cool little project that just happened to really blow up. But it did all the right stuff. You you gotta you you mm-hmm. look at it and you realize they did everything right. It it hit at the right time because, you know, a couple years later it might not have mattered. But at the same time, let's face it, the Blair Witch Project is probably responsible for the the mutation of the fifty goddamn ghost hunter ghost sure. bullshit store uh, TV shows that we've had ever since. Like if it weren't for this movie, um, my wife wouldn't be watching fifteen different ghost hunting haunted house yeah. murder mystery bullshit that she's watching now full, full disclosure i watch all of them um <laughs> yeah and and i and i gotta say even the ones that are are truly heinous um and i agree with you i i was actually expecting to be let down on this set on this uh contemporary watch and i said it, it's you know a decade ago it's actually been over two decades right um that shows where my brain is at um this movie, and I do think, I wonder too, I think watching it on a small screen, like when it was released on home video um, and DVD, I remember seeing it, I remember the artisan, um, the artisan DVD release. And I remember watching it on my like 25, 27 inch screen at home. And it was, it's a very different experience than watching it in the theater or on the big screen. Um, and I think that that immersion is lost when I'm watching it on a small screen. And this is true for many films, but because this one is so much about, you have to let yourself go into, into sort of feeling that you're actually watching home movies. Um, and I don't know, and so I'm curious on that, but on how other people would feel about that. But I will say it was funny. Like there were actually moments where I like chuckled, like the character interactions are funny, especially in the first half. Um, it really feels like real people that are doing this. And that sort of surprised me. I did not remember that element at all. And it just goes again back to, you have to I don't have- I remember the, the acting being so good. Yeah, exactly, right? Like the acting, they, especially because like when they, they start to break down because the, the, the group continually starts to inner infight, right? Because they're scared and they're frustrated and they're hungry and they're tired uh, and, and all these things are going on and they're clearly lost. Um, you get this element of people not looking good, which is something that honestly we don't see very often in contemporary cinema people look good they could be corpses on the ground and they look unless it's a james gunn movie they probably look pretty good um james gunn had to mention it uh go see the suicide squad and um i i think the the realism came from a willingness to fly by the seat of their pants because it did i guess in all the stories where the directors have talked about it and i've mentioned them several times there are two directors of this film created this film franchise um and it's uh, daniel merrick and eduardo sanchez who also wrote it and heather donahue who plays um heather donahue they did this brilliant idea of making them play their own name right um that's one of those elements where the directors were like we want this to feel real so when they talk to each other you're talking to Heather and you don't have to have this separation of character. And so I think it 
these little touches that they do and making them run. And I guess in the scene where at night when the, the tent gets shook, um, they didn't tell them they were going to do that. And so the actors did initially have a startle reflex and we get that on camera. Uh, you know, these, these things are smart filmmaking uh, moments that frankly, you can only do when you're a small production and an independent production, right? You really can't do that. You can't put Tom Cruise in a movie and say, your name is Tom C. Cruise, you know? No, it's not gonna matter. No one's gonna walk up to Tom Cruise and treat him like a normal person. Um, so I think that that's a, a, a great element of this movie that succeeded. Again, I think the padding happens. The ending wrap up too, I actually enjoy, but here's something I want, I want to ask you guys about because I remember the end, which is a callback, you know, when, where we see one of them fall over and, and one of them standing in the corner. And it's a callback to this story, one of the stories they hear at the very beginning from a, a local person about a, a, a child murderer that was supposedly, you know, uh, possessed by the Blair Witch, how he killed his victims. It's on paper and from a narrative standpoint, it works and it wraps it up. But no matter how many times I've watched this movie, I still find it a little disappointing and I don't know how I would change it. Um, and I wonder what you guys thought. Mandy, what's your take on that? How did you view the ending uh, in the beginning and now? Yeah, so I don't think, like, I mean, I don't think there's any good way to end like this movie. So it's really tough. Um, that being said, I don't think they did the audience or themselves any favors with not like leaving enough like breadcrumbs to kind of understand the ending a little bit more. Yeah. Um, actually, when I, I was reading up about the movie, um, they actually added in that local legend into the interviews at the beginning to make based on like uh, uh, reactions from early viewers of the film they were saying like we don't get the ending like this is just completely like wacky like it's not attached mm -hmm. to anything we don't understand what happened at all like we don't care like I, it's not that scary i guess kind of scary but like eh. so they reshot like some of those interviews i don't even know if they had the interviews in there beforehand mm -hmm. or they just did that one with the local legend about like specifically the orientation of people and, and stuff um so that the ending would at least make some sense um, that's what I read recently, looking it up. You might want to confirm it yourself. But like, um, yeah, so like, I mean, it would have been nice if there was some more stuff. They also said in that legend that the house burned down, but then they're clearly in a house that exists. Right. Like, like they found the footage somewhere that burned down. The footage wasn't damaged, but they were in a house where like the stuff got dropped. Like, it's just like stuff kind of doesn't really add up. You like yeah. sit back and think about it. Um, I don't know if this, this film necessarily lends itself to that like level of critical thought and uh, continuity. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, like, how do you wrap up something like this? Like, that's, it, that's what I always wrap like, up against. You're kind of like setting yourself up to fail as far as that's concerned. Yeah, and I think, I like your suggestion of, of having more breadcrumbs because we literally, and I, I think that story of adding the, the legend of the beginning actually probably holds water because if it wouldn't, then they probably would have had some more breadcrumbs in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. Because it really is just, oh yeah, that thing at the beginning. And like uh, my wife who hadn't seen it before, um, she was like, she didn't 
remember that. And I was like, oh, that's what that is, right. Um, and you had to be reminded. And so, which isn't necessarily that effective. If, if the audience member doesn't remember what you're re referencing, it, they're gonna they're gonna be disappointed because they're not gonna get it. Um, and also it's weird because it's the only part where we see a Blair Witch story that actually is, doesn't involve the Blair Witch, right? It's someone else committing the murders. Um, and so, yeah, interesting. I, and, and I think there, there is a perfect way. I do believe there's always a perfect way to end a story. And I think there is a perfect way, um, but this was a serviceable way and I know why they went with it. Um, it makes sense. It's not the moment where I'm like, oh, what a terrible cop-out. I'm like, oh, not bad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I always am, I want something more. And I would love um, to know what that could have been. And I think you're right. I think that there probably could have been more pieces in there to add it together. I mean, the sticks, those are the so crazy and so creepy and so weird and the stones, and those don't play into the ending at all. It's almost like there's multiple myths at the same time that live together. And if that's the case, right. then we yeah, need more Yeah, even if they put like, even if they put handprints on some of the rock formations that they found, I don't know, like yeah. something to tie or, in that set with the other stuff that was going on. Or they go in the or, basement and they have their friend that was missing uh, hunched over. Mm -hmm. And when he turns around, he's making a stick bundle and his teeth are all missing. You know what I mean? Like, right, yeah. they, they could have had something. Um, and, and I think, but again, it's a budgetary thing too, right? Mm -hmm. They're ending was serviceable and it needed zero special effects zero right uh, a guy falls over and another guy's looking in a corner um it doesn't it doesn't mm -hmm. really have anything tad what was your take on the ending yeah um for me especially now back then i didn't give a shit now i look at it and i go well it kind of makes sense that it, when it comes to a local legend there's going to be embellishment there's going to be misinformation mm -hmm. and frankly you get there and it's like, I thought this house burned down. Oh no, it didn't. It, for me, it just, it, it's, it fits into that whole, like you didn't act, nobody actually knows what happened because the, the idea is that everybody who investigated it probably got fucking killed. So you don't actually mm -hmm. know who the hell even spread it. If, if everyone went there and got killed, who the hell was even left right. around to even explain what the fuck happened? Yeah. Um, my perfect ending, Nathan, would be if Evil Ronald popped out of the house and started chewing people's heads off. That's the that Rob Zombie my... remake of the Blair Witch that's coming out <laughs> next year. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I agree, and I like that. I hadn't even thought of that—the idea that the local legends always get embellished and they sort of form to make sense of what happened, right? So then it lends to the concept of, oh, did that person kill those children at all? Or was it a Blair Witch and he was innocent and yet another victim and these kids were killed by the Blair Witch, which for whatever reason kills them in this strange way. It, it, if there were a little bit more elements and threads worked in, like Mandy said, I think it would have made a more complete picture. But at the same time, the great thing about these like Skinwalker Ranch, um, all these paranormal shows, we don't have all the info, right? And that leaves the space for uh, for the audience to continue to think about it. And it doesn't leave their brain because it's, 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 we try and make sense of it and we can't do it. So we work on all these hypotheses. And so I wonder too, if the ending had been more narratively satisfying, if it actually would have hindered the effect of the film. Um, I think of something like uh, the film Session Nine, uh, where that was filmed in, I believe, 
was it Massachusetts or Connecticut in the abandoned in an abandoned insane asylum? I can't re- or, or, I can't remember. Um, but that's another independent film that was very well done and very received. But the story has a very round arc um, where it's got a beginning and an end. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of openness to it, but it's more narratively satisfying because it runs through this whole thread that's consistent throughout. And while I, I enjoy that movie and plenty of people enjoy that movie, it's not as remembered as the Blair Witch. And I have a feeling it's partially because the, they both worked with like these local legends, but the Blair Witch gives us just enough to be interested and scared and want to know more and our natural inquisitiveness will keep the legend alive so i I think that's interesting we're going to round out here with our recommendations um uh tad would you recommend the blair witch 1999 Uh, and if so why and to who i actually would um i think this was kind of a groundbreaking film especially for people like i mentioned who maybe enjoy some of the more modern and by modern i mean like from mid 2000s up until recently those those kind of shows where apparently jessica chobot is actually like doing this shit now where she's actually like part of a ghost hunting crew it's like really weren't you a game journalist but i mean hey you gotta make money somehow i guess but yes jessica come on our show we'd love to have you um that'd be interesting but yeah if if you're if you're looking if you want to look at the roots of found footage and also at the roots of this whole uh, decade more than a decade long phenomenon of of tv shows and movies that focus on trying to hunt down the paranormal and and using rudimentary tools to do so this is this is this is where you start and also maybe if you're old enough this movie will remind you about when issues came out and when uh when um i don't uh windows 98 was still a thing because that was a thing back then (laughs) <laughs> that's true that's true uh you're getting another corn reference in there mandy would you recommend the blair witch the blair this is of course the blair witch project uh 1999 would you recommend it and if so why and to who i would recommend it pretty much only as like a cultural reference doing your homework kind of activity but um i don't know it, it, i guess if you want to watch a movie that's scarier than expected to be a good one but it i mean i i don't know i guess it's lost a lot of its sparkle for me at this point yeah i mean i think it's just like anything it's been done many many times now so yeah um i think if you i, I will actually give it a little more credit than that i think i found it very entertaining the the big stumbling block for me um isn't even the padding because the movie only is actually an hour and 21 minutes so it feels a little long uh, even though it's actually quite short because of, I think what you said, Tad, which is there's, it's a 45 minute material that's been padded to an hour and 21 to capitalize on a, on a theater feature. Um, and no shame to that. It happens to the best of us. Um, but I, I do think it's very entertaining. And the biggest stumbling block for me though, is actually the early handy quote unquote shaky cam footage. Um, I am prone to motion sickness and the narrow field of view with the shaking, especially near the latter half of the film, it really gets to me. And, um, and I, I get nauseous and it frustrates me because you really, this is a movie you need to watch in one sitting because the tension will not hold as you take a day off. Um, 
that has been we've had more experience with handycam footage now and so we we use things like um steady boys uh, and gyroscopic devices to keep cameras more steady even though they look like they're they're free moving um we we have that technology now and so that's why the quote-unquote shaky cam movies now are not so shaky uh also unless you're the born identity for whatever friggin reason <clears throat> um but yeah, I do think that it holds up. I think the acting, as Mandy said, is really spot on. I think the, the cleverness, as Tad said, is worthy of viewing. And if you are yourself an aspiring filmmaker, I think it's a must watch because it's one of those cases like Rodriguez's El Mariachi, um, very different films, but it's one of those cases of work within your scope. What can I do with what I have well? Uh, and they really nailed it with this one. And it's uh, I don't know if it still holds up. It probably does. I think uh, I still probably hold the Guinness world record for most return on investment. I think it's something like 10, over $10,000 worth of return uh, for every dollar spent to make this movie. Um, that's, that's a big number. doesn't matter where you are in Hollywood land. That ends up to a really big number. Uh, so give it a watch. This has been part two of our Witches Gone Wild. And I really am glad to have everyone here, both on the panel and listening. And please rate us, subscribe, uh, write reviews wherever you get your podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts. That sucker drives so many listeners to us and we really appreciate it and love it. Thanks to our listeners internationally. Uh, we love you all. And we are open to recommendations, suggestions, requests. Send it to cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Send your hate mail to tad at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Colton Classic Podcast and on uh, Facebook at Colton Classic Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. And next week we'll be back with a brand new pair of Colton Classic films. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.